God built change into this world, and he built it right into our very lives. Now, you can try to prevent change, and for those of us who live in Abu Dhabi, which unless you're visiting, which this time of year, why would you do that? Um, I can imagine visiting in December or January, but at the end of May, this is not the ideal time to visit us, but, but I love living here, but if we're honest with ourselves, there's challenges, and it's so different from your home country, and we can try to want to make things comfortable or familiar, and we can get frustrated, we can complain about the UAE and backwards, and my wife and I, four years ago, we used to call it the, the logic-free zone when we first moved here, and so we, we had to just remind ourselves, it's not wrong, it's not stupid, it's just different. It's just different. But sometimes being different is difficult, and so we find ourselves wanting to make things familiar, and so we fight against change, and we resist change. And in an effort to keep things comfortable and familiar for ourselves in our little world, we will try to control people or circumstances or or manipulate in order to keep things where we think they ought to be and, and not embrace the change that, quite honestly, God wants for you. So you don't have a choice in change. It's natural. It's going to happen. But we do have a choice in whether or not we can resist it or embrace it. And our God is in the process of changing you. Will you resist that change or will you gladly, joyfully embrace the changes God wants to make in your life. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. It is the power of God for salvation. The heart of the gospel is that he is here to make changes. The gospel leads to radical changes, and God's glory is displayed through the changed lives of his people. This is how he displays his glory. He transforms us, we reflect his character, and people see glimpses of the glory of God in how we live our lives. And so changed lives brought from the Spirit of God displays his magnificence. Now, only God can do this. Only God can change hearts. But he uses the changed lives of his people around the room. He uses the changed lives of his own to then carry this gospel message of salvation into a dark and lost world. And when we proclaim the good news that God has come in the flesh, that Jesus has paid the price on the cross and we can be forgiven, be made right with God if if we will simply repent and trust in Him. We're the ones that proclaim this message and then people hear it. The Spirit of God is at work and they repent and they give their lives to Jesus and their lives are then transformed. And then that person becomes an on-fire, white-hot worshiper of Jesus who goes and tells their friends. And And then they become worshipers of Jesus and they go tell their friends. And then God's glory is further displayed as more worshipers come together in the name of Jesus to proclaim the magnificence of our God. And we are a part of this. This is who we are. We are here to experience this change and to see more changes in the lives of other people. 
people. If you look at Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we're told, don't take the shape of this world, but instead be transformed, be changed, be radically different from this world, so be transformed as your mind is renewed. And so as you pursue Jesus in his spirit, as you enjoy the Father, so as, as you pursue God through his word and his spirit, you need both word and spirit to know God. And so when that has happened, when you are pursuing God through his spirit and your mind is being renewed, it will result in a transformed life. But maybe wondering, but pastor, what does that look like? Like just practically in the here and the now as the temperature rises and the school year is coming to a close and I'm thinking about going on my holiday and, and I want to get out as soon as possible. I'll see you in September. As our minds are just so full of life and the affairs of life, what does it look like to actually experience transformation? We talk about it. What does it look like? Can you give me a picture of transformation? We're going to look at that this morning. The verses that follow Romans 2, so verses 3 through 8, the following paragraph give us a picture of transformation. We're going to meditate on what it looks like for a heart to experience true change. So Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who con contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. Let me give you the primary truth from this text. The main idea that governs our thoughts this morning is that our ongoing transformation ought to be visible for all to see. So a transformed life ought to be plain for other people to see. If it's invisible, it's not real. True change, change that comes from deep inside, will be seen in how we live our lives. Now, let me just clarify this. I'm not talking about pretending because we can fake it. We can look good on a Friday morning or in your home group and, and have all the appearances of actually having been transformed. But in actuality, day in, day out, our minds are not being renewed. We're not being transformed. We're not pursuing Jesus, and we know it, but we're just pretending. So I'm not talking about that. I'm also not talking about perfection because on this side of heaven, we're not going to reach perfection. So I'm not, I'm not talking about achieving this holy perfection, not saying that either. So if it's not pretending and if it's not perfection, then what is it? Well, it's a propensity. Propensity to what? Propensity to be obedient. It is a tendency 
towards obedience. Not perfect, but different. Hearts that are inclined, hearts that have a bent and a desire towards obedience. Again, a propensity, a tendency towards obedience. So a general direction that is moving towards more love, trust, and obedience to Jesus. That will be evidence. That has to be real. And if it is, then our lives will look different. Our words and our actions will be changed. And so a transformed life that comes from deep inside from God's Spirit can be seen. Well, what are the marks? Well, this text gives us three marks of a transformed life. This is what it should look like. Number one, transformation is marked by a healthy understanding of yourself. So if you are truly being transformed by your mind being renewed, then you're going to have a healthy understanding of yourself. It says this in verse 3. He says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone. So God's grace in inspiring him. This is God's word. He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here in verse 3, he's saying that one evidence, one mark of transformation is, he says, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober thinking. That's what the word means, sober judgment. So four times uses the word think. So this is dominating this first sentence. And so this, this first mark, this first truth could be said, healthy thinking about yourself. So a healthy understanding about who you are. He says sober Judgment, sober, means sound, so a sound mind. And so it's seeing yourself clearly as you really are, not as you want to be, not as you wish you are, not as in the image that you portray, but who you really are, for real. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, we need to have a clear reflection. And so if you look in the mirror, and the mirror is dirty or warped or, or cracked or somehow the mirror is, is not in good condition, you may see yourself, but it's going to be a distorted image. It's not going to be an accurate image of you because the mirror is not clean and it's not whole. And so we need to have an accurate reflection so that we can see ourselves clearly and honestly. This right here is a foundation to truly experiencing transformation. Knowing who you are. Self-awareness is the foundation. Now, there are two unhealthy extremes here, all right? We could see ourselves and say, oh, I'm just worthless. I'm such a sinner, and I have nothing to offer, and I'm just not gifted, and God can't possibly love me, and I have no value, and I'm never going to change just his lack of confidence, and so some people see themselves, and they see themselves as worthless. So this is insecurity. This is not a healthy view of yourself. But on the other extreme, there's arrogance. So this is a very high view of yourself. This is a very proud, overconfident, unteachable. But sometimes, if we're really honest, it's also insecurity because this proud, arrogant person 
wants to validate and prove that they're actually valuable. And on the inside, they don't feel all that loved either, and so they're just trying to earn God's approval and approval of others, and so they, they do it with this persona of arrogance, but deep on the inside, they're just as insecure as that person who thinks they're worthless. They're just, it just looks different. Personality is different. The root is the same. So whether you struggle with feeling worthless or whether you struggle with being very arrogant, either one is not a healthy view of yourself. They're both, they're both bad, and either one of these will lead you down the path of destruction. Either one of these will destroy your relationships. Either one. And either one of these will draw you far from the heart of God. And so we need to see ourselves clearly. He says, think about yourself with, says, with a sober judgment. So we need a clear, honest, but biblical view of ourselves. Well, what does that look like? Well, what is a sober judgment? What is the right view of ourselves? Well, verse 3 ends by revealing that to us. He says, view yourself, he says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so we should think of ourselves, we should define ourselves and understand who we are in light of, he says, this measure of faith that God has provided. And so the word here for measure is standard. This here is the key to unlocking transformation in your life. Hear me, this really is a foundation. This is the key that will unlock that door so you can have more transformation. Understanding the standard by which you define who you are, how you view yourself. See, you don't measure yourself by your feelings because they can change depending upon your circumstances. You, you can't measure yourself based upon how good a day that you've had. Maybe you had a great morning, but you're going to have a terrible afternoon. That can happen. It happened to me yesterday. I had a great morning preparing the sermon and praying and experiencing God's presence, and it was just awesome. And then I was driving, and I foolishly was getting a bunch of messages on my phone, and I picked up my phone to check my messages while I was driving. And I ran into the curb and had my tire exploded. And so then I was trying to drive to get it fixed, and then I got to the ad knock, and the tire shop was not open yet. My boss, the ad mall. So if you need tires, don't go to that ad knock because there's no tires. It says tire shop, but there's no tires there. And so, and so I'm calling AAA, and it's like I had all of these plans for the afternoon, meeting with one of our team leaders to pray and plan for ministry. And no, instead I was having to get my tire fixed because it got shredded because I hit a curb because I was looking at my phone. It's just foolish. And in the moment is, well, are you going to be really angry or are you going to be honest that, well, in my case, that I was being foolish and say, God, you know what? You're bigger than this and I, this is not going to sabotage my day. I'm still going to have joy in following you even though this unplanned, foolish thing happens to me. Life is full of unexpected realities. So we can't base ourselves on one foolish moment or on one difficult situation, or on your emotions that will go up and down. You cannot define yourself on your struggles, or on your weaknesses, or on your temptations. You are not defined by those things. 
we must not view ourselves in light of our struggles. Hear me, we must not define who we are in light of our struggles. And so if you're here and you, and you say, I'm depressed, no, you're not. No, you're not. You are a believer. You are a child of God. You are a daughter of the King. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You are forgiven. You are sealed. You are anointed. And you are called. And you struggle with depression. Okay, I'll give you that. You struggle with it. But you're not defined by it. You're not defined by any of those realities. And so what you see here is you think of yourself according to the standard that God has provided. What is the standard? Jesus, the cross of Christ, his mercy is the standard. The mercy, the love of God is the standard by which we think of ourselves. Not what others say about us or one dumb moment. We define ourselves by who we are in Christ. This is how we define ourselves. We measure who we are based upon the mercy that's been revealed by the cross of Christ. You belong to Jesus, and you have infinite value. And so you ought not measure yourself as being worthless because those are lies from the enemy. You are not worthless. You are gifted and loved and treasured, empowered for ministry. This is who you are. But defining yourself by the measurement being Jesus also helps you not give in to the arrogance and the pride. Because when you measure yourself according to the standard of Jesus and his mercy, you, and you daily are meditating on how you have been saved by grace, then you're not going to look down on other people. You won't look down on them because you see how much God's forgiven you. And you're going to be a patient and a forgiving and a generous person. Because yes, you're going to see their sin. Yes, you're going to see their shortcomings. But you also see because you're defining yourself in light of Jesus and his mercy. And so what this does is knowing who you are in Christ will create in you being a forgiving, gracious, teachable person who walks in the confidence of the calling and the empowering of God. Walk in the confidence of his this is how we change. This is the starting point. Reading his word, meditating daily on who we are in Jesus, pursuing him through his word. Our minds are renewed. And what does it look like? A healthy understanding of yourself. And so if you want a summary statement as we go on to point two, on what is a healthy understanding of yourself? You're a recipient of love and mercy. And this will change you. But you can't do it alone. So number two is transformation is marked by a healthy understanding of Christ-centered community. You understand that, yes, who you are in Christ, but you also understand that you cannot experience transformation 
on your own. Verses 4 and 5 reveal this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And then we'll read verse 6 in a second. But these two verses describe that we are members, we have different functions, we are many, but we are one body, and we belong to one another. If you're a disciple of Jesus, understand how remarkable it is that you're part of the family of God, that we get to display His glorious perfections together and how we live and how we love each other. And so you individually belong to Jesus, but then together we all belong to him. So we have great diversity, especially in Abu Dhabi, great diversity, but within that diversity we have unity. And, and we all share things. Maybe you're from the same country, like if you're South African, you, you share love for Bri, and you share love for the spring bucks. If, if you're from the Philippines, you share a love for pancit. If, if you're from the U.S., you share a love for football. I didn't say soccer. I said football. We, we, we share a love for that. Wherever you're from, you may, you may share things and all that. That makes us kind of have a sense of, of unity and commonality. But as believers, what we share is not just sport or food or culture or language. What we share, what binds us is at the deepest possible human level. We share the experience of God. That's what we share. Which, by the way, sidebar, parents, don't ever let your children date unbelievers. Why would you ever even consider dating, much less marrying an unbeliever? You don't share the experience of God. At the deepest level, that's who you are. And so you should never even consider it. It would make no sense. Because what we share is the Holy Spirit. What we share is the love for the King. What we share is the love for the gospel. We love each other and we have unity within our diversity and we need each other. We share this. Transformation requires community. That's what we're seeing here. We belong to one another. Yes, we're diverse, but we're one body. So you cannot do it alone. Which is why this church focuses on high accountability and highly relational ministry. That's the reason why this church, you won't see a lot of events or programs. We don't have a lot of classes. We don't. Because we don't want to organize our church in such a way where you just kind of show up if you want to. If you don't, that's okay. Here's a buffet. Pick whichever one you want. No, no, no. We don't want to do that. We want to make it very focused and say we want you to have life on life and do life together with other people where you're going to be known, where someone's going to know you. Because if you're not known, then you're not going to be able to change because you won't have the accountability the encouragement necessary. And so transformation happens when you have community huddled around the word. And so we need other people. We need accountability. That's why we have home groups. What's a home group? Well, it's 8 to 12 people that gather together and experience transformation by focusing on Jesus together. They meet in homes throughout the week. Met in a home group. 
you truly are missing out in the most basic level of, of community in our church. But we also have discipleship groups. That's different. A discipleship group is a group of three or four people of the same gender. That same thing. They experience transformation by focusing on Jesus together. But it's smaller, more intimate, more accountable. You learn from each other. This is what we need. This is, this is what it means to be a body. If you don't have the kinds of meaningful relationships where people know you, if you're not there, if you're struggling, they know, and they're going to call you out in your lies. Oh, I'm okay. You're like, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, 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 I'm good. Really, I don't, I don't think you're okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Stop lying to me. No, you're right, I'm not fine. But that doesn't happen unless they know you. Unless you have that kind of a relationship, you won't have what you need to grow. So let's truly do life together. But let's just be honest. Full disclosure, this takes effort. I mean, if I take a show, I mean, actually, I don't want to. But if I did take a show of hands and I said, for how many of you is it work to go to home group? I think all who have kids especially multiple children, especially under the age of about three, which is almost all of you, that's a lot of us, we, we would be honest to say, man, home is a lot of work. It's a school night, Pastor, and we, and we have to go. We get home late, and then the baths and bedtime, the next morning is miserable, and it's just so hard to get to home group. It takes effort, and I'm the first to admit, yes, it does. It does. It's not easy. In a church like ours that has a lot of young families, it's actually difficult. So let's not, let's not paint a picture that's not accurate. It is hard. But what in life that is valuable is easy? There's nothing. There is not one thing you can mention that has any value, specifically eternal, that is easy or comfortable. It takes effort, but it's worth the effort. It's worth it. Because the same people that would raise their hand and say, yeah, it's effort, absolutely, are the same ones who would say, but it's worth it. And we will continue to do it because it's worth the effort. And the reason it's hard is because not just the logistics. I mean, that's hard, too, at times with small children. But it's the reality of being transparent it's risky. If you open up to someone, they might gossip. They might not understand you. They might be judgmental. And so you are honestly taking a risk. You have to trust those in your group. And so you have to commit to that. But let's be honest, there is a risk with that. And it's not easy to be honest about your struggles. This is hard and unnatural, but what I'm talking about is the supernatural, not what's natural. So no, it's not easy, but it has eternal implications. And so we trust Jesus. And when we do this, when we take that step, you know what happens? We experience transformation and more of Christ's presence. And then we say, well, how in the world did I try doing this on my own before? Will you take that step? If you want a key phrase or a key word for what is a healthy understanding of Christ-centered community, one word, interdependence. Not independence, not codependence. Interdependence. We need one another. 
for encouragement and accountability to change. So this is what it looks like. If you're being transformed, you will hunger. You will want community. Number three, as we wrap things up, transformation is marked by a healthy understanding of your giftedness. Verses 6 through 8 describe seven spiritual gifts. Now, there's other passages that describe others, but we'll focus here on Romans chapter 12. These seven can be categorized in two primary categories, broadly speaking. One is the speaking gifts. He describes prophecy, teaching, encouragement. There are also service gifts. And so you have, he says, serving, generosity, leadership, and mercy. And so there, there are seven revealed ones here. Let me give you some truths on a healthy understanding of your giftedness. Number one, every believer is gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. If you're a believer, you are gifted. You weren't left out, all right? It's not like, like Santa Claus put a coal in your stocking. All right, God's not Santa Claus. If you're a believer, you are gifted. You have his empowering to accomplish the mission given to us by Jesus. Number two, a second truth on gifts is that God and his grace is the source of your gifting. And so God is the gifter. And so God made you and he gifted you exactly how he wants you to be. For his good pleasure and for your blessing. He didn't make a mistake. He made you, gifted you, designed you how you are. And so we trust God. We trust him even if it's if, even if you don't like the way you were gifted or you don't like how you are, you have to repent of that because you're mad at God. He doesn't make a mistake. Trust him. And so because he knows what he's doing and he made you how you are, there's no room for pride. You, you can't get a big head because, oh, you're so gifted in this area or that area. You shouldn't be prideful. Well, God gave you that gift. It's not yours. He gave it to you. It belongs to him, and you use it for his glory. And so there's no room for pride, but also no room for envy. Sometimes we have gift envy. I wish I was gifted how he's gifted. I mean, there are times where this is, this is kind of personal, but whatever. I wish I could sing. And I'm so glad that Tejesu hits mute. He forgets sometimes. It's kind of embarrassing. I love you, brother. But usually he hits mute, which is good, because I don't want my voice to be amplified whenever we're singing. This is not good for the church. You won't be built up. You won't be edified if you hear my singing. But there are times where, I mean, there's like this tinge of envy, like, oh, man, I wish I could play or sing and lead God's people into his presence through song. It would be awesome. But that's not my gifting. And I delight people like Bonnie and Ashley and Anush and others that sing, and I praise God for them, and I ought not feel envious of what they can do. Because God made me how I am and made you how you are, and so we're content, we're satisfied in that. And he is enough for us. He is the source of our gifting. Number three is God intentionally gives a variety of gifts. So on purpose, he gives a variety of gifts. And so some people have the gifting, it says here, of, of prophecy. Now, let's just be clear. It's a long conversation, but here very briefly, if someone has a word from the Lord for you, 
it ought to be true, one, if it's not true, it's not from the Lord, but it ought to be consistent with Scripture. It says, according to faith, according to the real, revealed word, like the Christian faith, and so it's describing that it should be consistent with Scripture. And so any prophetic word, if it's not consistent with, with the Word of God, then it's not from the Spirit. Maybe it's from a spirit, but not from the Holy One. And so he mentions prophecy, but he mentions encouragement, serving, mercy. And those might not seem miraculous. Those might seem like, oh, well, I, I just got a boring one. God gave me serving. I wish I had gotten prophecy or some, some more exciting or miraculous gift. It's the same Spirit who gives the gifts however He chooses. And it's just as miraculous. It's the same divine God who gives gifts how He sees fit to build up the body, which is the fourth one. The purpose of our gifts is to build up the body of Christ. It's not about our ego or our pride. It's about His glory. And He gives gifts individually. And so we use them to contribute, to build up the body. So being a member of this church is not church shopping. I'm thinking, what can I get out of this church? This church is a great kids ministry or a great whatever ministry. So what what can I get out of it? That's the wrong mentality. That's not why we come. We should come because we want to glorify God together and build up the body, not receive but to contribute, not consumerism, but contributing. So why do we serve God here as we close? Just some, some thoughts on serving God. Because I, I was thinking a lot and praying about this this week on serving God and some things on how and why we don't serve God first. First of all, we don't serve God because he needs us. He doesn't need us to serve him. He's not needy. He's not dependent We don't serve God in order to put him in debt to us. Oh, God, I serve you so faithfully. So now do this for me. I've served you, and I'm praying. You don't answer my prayer. What's what's up with that, God? I've been serving you. Now you owe me. Give me this that I'm praying for. We don't serve to make God in debt to us. We also don't serve to earn God's love or approval. We don't serve God because it makes us feel better about ourselves or to calm our conscience. Those are not the reasons why we serve God. We serve God out of our dependence on Him. We serve God because He has shown us mercy. We serve God because he has freed us from slavery and poured out his love on us. And so, hear, hear this. When you serve God, you are the one who are blessed. When you serve, you're the recipient of blessing, not God. We grow spiritually. We feel the pleasure of God. It's an expression of worship. And so why do we serve? Well, we serve God out of love. It's all about relationship. 
And so as a believer in Jesus, our passion is to enjoy Jesus, to have more of his presence. And serving is simply one overflow, one expression of our love for him. And so here as we close, I want to direct your attention to the information forms that I mentioned earlier when I was doing the welcome. If you are not engaged in serving, you really are missing out. You are. You're not experiencing the pleasure and the joy of serving our God with his people. And over the summer, if you're going to be here, there's there's an appointed need. We're not going to have full kids programming because everyone's gone. So ages four and up will be in the worship gathering. But the little ones, so like ones to threes, we will have classes for them. And there aren't very many teachers available. And so if you're going to be here in the summer and you have kids, then there's not going to be any classes unless we have people that will say, I'm willing to serve at minimum over the summer to help watch our little ones. But even beyond the summer, we need more servants in every area of this church. People that say, I so love Jesus that I want to express my love for him and how I serve. Will you take that step? And you can mark on that form what areas you're interested in of ministry. And you can give it to the welcome team there in the back. And, and we'll contact you. We'll train you. We'll help you. Now, if you can't play or sing, then there's other places for you than the worship team. You know, if, if you're like me, you just enjoy it from there. But most other areas, quite honestly, we'll train you. We'll help you. It's just a matter of you saying, I want to serve. And so if you're experiencing transformation, what does this look like? You have a healthy view of yourself, of living in community, and of using your gifts for God's glory. And we all pursue him together so that this city can know Jesus and we can see more of his glory displayed. Will you pray with me? Father, we do worship you together. We're so in awe that you would love us despite ourselves. Give us the joy of knowing you and making you known. I pray that you would make us a people that are so on fire for you that we can't help but make you known to others. Grip us with your glory and through your spirit, transform us. And we pray in the name of our Savior Jesus.